into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written within it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Okay, it's on. Good evening and welcome to Grace Downtown. My name is Mike. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I want to extend a warm Welcome to all of you joining us, especially if you are new to our church community. We would love to get to know you and help you uh, figure out what this is, uh, what we're about here. Uh, we do more than just gather on Sundays. Uh, this is great, but we realize that we have a mission to the city. And that mission is what brings us together because we want to make Jesus famous here in the city. And we can't do that by ourselves. We need each other, as we will see, okay? We're continuing our series on remembering forward, and the idea is by um, going back and recounting all the ways that God worked in Israel and through Israel, that we gain the necessary courage, strength, encouragement, and so on and so forth uh, for our mission too. And uh, as we celebrate 20 years of God's faithfulness this year, we want to continue to remind ourselves of all the things that God has done for us. All the ways that God used this community to bring about goodness and beauty in this city. We got a lot more work to do, but he has indeed done that. And so we want to celebrate that, but double down in our commitment to see more of that happen. Amen? Okay, so let's uh, pray together and uh, we'll dive right in. Father, we are grateful that you gather us, your people, so that you can pour upon us your spirit. We need it. So come and give us your word now. Help us to receive it by faith and apply it into our lives so that through us, through this community, that Christ and his kingdom will come in Washington, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I am fairly new to this whole thing called travel sport parenting, okay? Uh, my older two were very kind in that uh, they just chose the sports that their school was offering, so we didn't have to take them very far, but then the boys came along, and they were not interested in playing the sports that their school had to offer. They wanted to do club sport, and so 
we doubled down and said, okay, uh, and started wading into this dangerous waters called uh, travel sport parenting. And uh, last summer, I took my son, James, who was then 12, to his first uh, weekend all-star travel baseball game, okay? And uh, to my surprise, the coach actually said, hey, James, you're going to pitch the first game. And I saw him standing on the mound warming up and off at a distance not too far away from the mound were these giants. (laughs) I don't know how time works in New Jersey, so if you're from New Jersey, maybe you can explain to me. How is it that 12-year-olds in New Jersey have like full-grown facial hair? Okay, not only that, some of the parents were joking around saying they probably drove here with their children on the bleachers watching them play, right? I mean, at that moment, I kid you not, I don't know why, but the famous words, right? The only thing to fear is fear itself registered in my mind. And somehow I thought that it would take a pivot and all of a sudden things would work out, but it didn't, okay? (laughs) James's team got crushed. Okay, they didn't even get past third inning. The umps were like, no, that's it. That's it. This, we're going to call the mercy rule. And that was that. And I realized that day that FDR was wrong. There's a lot more to fear than fear itself. New Jersey baseball teams, okay? There are times, though, in life when fear is totally justified and even helpful. How we process and manage fear is the difference between paralysis and growth, isn't it? And that's where Joshua finds himself here in the opening chapter of this book. And thank God that God does not come onto the scene and say to Joshua, well, you got a lot of work ahead of you, so good luck and try harder. No, he actually moves towards Joshua enters into his fear, does not shame him, but speaks a word of encouragement. And this is what we need as a church as we think about the mission before us. Because if you're like me, we could use a little bit of courage, can't you? Sometimes we're afraid to pray bold prayers, to have that conversation with the co-worker, To come clean and say, actually, I am a Christian. And to step out boldly, sacrificially, to love and care for those around us. And so what we want to do as we look at Joshua chapter 1 is to see how God comes to Joshua. To remind him of everything that just happened, not only in his lifetime, but going all the way back to the time of Adam. To remind him that it's not really about you, but it's about me, and I am here for you and with you, and will do everything through you. But before we go any further, let me address this topic of conquest of Israel, because it's difficult, isn't it? It is challenging. How are we to read the story of Israel going into Canaan and basically destroying everything in sight? Now, we don't have a whole lot of time to dive into this, and I will uh, direct you to uh, the Reformed Theological Seminary Faculty uh, podcast. They actually literally did this last week. So uh, if you want to do a deep dive into it, please uh, go ahead and uh, listen. 
I, I'm sure it will be very edifying, but I want to uh, highlight a couple of things. First, that God is committed to justice more than anybody else. And we see this in the scripture to a point that he sent his son who died on the cross to satisfy God's justice. Second, the conquest of Canaan is not political or racial, but it's theological. The land of Israel, much like the temple, is a sacred place. And so if you go back to the story of Genesis, you realize why God was about to judge Canaan. And it wasn't because they weren't Israel. It wasn't because God did not like them. It was because of their deeds, their sins. And much later, when Israel fails to live up to the law, to embrace the command, to be the good, true, and right community that then becomes a light to the Gentile nations. What does God do? He doesn't turn a blind eye to say, it's okay, because I kind of like you. No, he actually judges them as well. It's called exile. The last thing I'll say is that you and I, uh, today in 21st century, we understand a thing or two about corporate judgment, don't we? Think Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan during World War II. I don't think any one of us here would have an issue with corporate judgment that was meted out against these two countries because of the evil committed against the world. And that's why I don't think we have issues with God judging Egypt. Like, people talk about how could God do this to Canaan, but I've never heard anyone say, well, how could God do that to Egypt? Why? Because I think... It's pretty clear what they did, their sin against Israel. So I'll just leave it at that and then put in the plug that this Tuesday night at 7 p.m., <laughs> Ed with Red continues at the church office. And so if you want to talk more about this or you have more questions about this or anything about the Old Testament, bring it, okay? And uh, it's fair game, okay? That's what he told me to tell you, so I'll leave it at that. Okay, so how does God move in and encourage Joshua? Two things. First, I want to talk about call to courage. Call to courage. The book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses' death on Mount Nebel in the land of Moab on the east of Jordan. And this was a significant event in the life of Israel because for 40 years, Moses, the revered servant of the Lord who led Israel out of Egypt, died. And the book of Joshua picks, right, picks up right where Deuteronomy ends. And before Israel could begin its military campaign, God first commissions Joshua to take up the mantle of leadership. At times, God does choose the foolish and the weak things of this world to shame the wise and the strong. But in this case, God actually chose the right man for the job. And the clue is in his name. What's in a name? Well, a lot more than what Shakespeare thought, at least in the biblical times. When God changes a person's name in the Bible, like Jacob to Isaac, right, or Israel, it discerns a unique strength in the individual, and in a prophetic way, it foreshadows God's work through them, and this was true of Joshua. Joshua is not his uh, given name. In Numbers 13, verse 16, Moses, we're told, changed Hosea to Joshua. And the difference is more than semantic. 
The name Hosea means he has saved, whereas the name Joshua means the Lord is salvation. The major difference between the two names, as you have picked up, is the author of the salvation. Who is the one that's doing the saving? And the fact that Moses gave Joshua this name points to two things. One, that God is a savior who will not only deliver people out of Egypt, but he will continue to save until they inherit the promised land. And that Joshua has a part to play in God's work. Now, you might wonder, wait, there must have been a thousand Joshuas at the time, right? Well, historians would tell us that over many generations, the name did become a lot more popular. But at this point in redemptive history, that name, Joshua, was very rare. In addition to his name, Joshua had an impressive resume. He led Israel to her first, uh, first military victory against the Amalekites. He aided Moses to the mountain of God where Moses received the Ten Commandments. He had special access to the tent of meeting where he would go and sort of linger around even after Moses left. And when the spies were sent to explore Canaan, Joshua, along with Caleb, provided a positive evaluation on possessing the land. And that's why Joshua and Caleb were the only spies or members of that generation that were permitted entrance into Canaan. But before we go any further, let me first talk about this obvious parallel between Israel and us. Israel, in many ways, is a metaphor for every Christian. For 40 years, Israel, we're told, lived between the exodus and the promised land, between the promise of salvation and the fulfillment of salvation. And that place between promise and fulfillment is, we're told, wilderness. And in the same way, you and I, we live between promise and fulfillment, don't we? In what the theologians call sanctification, at sometimes sanctification feels a lot like wilderness. And some of you have been in the wilderness for a very, 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 very long time, and the weight of it is crushing your soul, and you wonder sometimes out loud, how long, O oh Lord? And maybe that's, it's more than just what's going on in your heart, but as you read the headlines that dominate the news, you're wondering, how long, O oh Lord? I want you to remember that God did not bring you out from sin and death only to abandon you in the wilderness. Your story is still being written, and one day your pain and disappointment will give way to glory. And even now, he enters in, doesn't he? He finds us in our wilderness, and he proves himself to be our shepherd, our friend, the lover of our souls. And he gives us grace for every step, and even glimpses of that promised glory that awaits us. So take courage. You find yourself in the wilderness today. Wilderness of unmanned longings, disappointment in career and relationships and so on. The Lord is with you. He knows. He enters in. Joshua, as I said, was the right man for the job, yet he was afraid to take the mantle of leadership. And we know this because God says repeatedly, come on, man. Be strong and courageous. You got this. You got this. Parents, remember 
when you were like standing in the pool telling your kid to jump in? Like, you got this, you got this. That's sort of what's going on here, okay? Why? Why is Joshua so afraid? I think one of my pastor friends is really insightful here. He says, I think it's because Joshua wrongly conflated human agency with divine achievement. In other words, he thought it was by Moses and not through Moses. And so in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is wrestling with the question, how could I replace God to do the things that Moses did? There's no way I could do that. But he doesn't realize that it wasn't Moses, but it was God doing it through Moses. How can Joshua replace God? And the short answer is no, he can't. And here, Josh, here God reminds Joshua, yeah, you're right. I will call you to do the impossible. But I also promise to do the impossible through you. Listen to the passage. He says to him in verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot would tread upon, I have given to you. Verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And again in verse 5, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. In other words, I will give you the land, so be strong and courageous. No one will be able to stand before you, so be strong and courageous. I will be with you to the very end, so be strong and courageous. You see, when God commands us to do something, he not only commands us to do it, but he gives us the promise, the resource, so that we can do these things. With God, the battery is always included. Amen? So don't be paralyzed, the people of God, as you remember the call to be salt and light in this city. To be a community that reflects the glory that awaits us. It, it is a high calling. And I hope it will drive you to your knees where you will find him to be your shepherd, your friend, a lover of your soul who gives you all the resources you need to live out that mission in a glorious way. Second, let's talk about the source of courage. Did anyone here watch uh, the movie Oppenheimer? Anyone? Okay. I hope I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> we win, okay? <laughs> it's like going to watch Titanic, and you're like, what? I didn't know the ship was going to sink. Okay, sorry. So if you don't know what the movie's about, uh, it's about the Manhattan Project and the ethical question uh, surrounding the use of an atomic bomb against Japan to secure uh, the Allies' victory in the Pacific. And at the time, it was generally believed that if we could beat Germany in this arms race, that we could secure the victory. Okay? And they do. And they win. Okay? Given the nature of Joshua's mission, you'd expect that God would show up here in Joshua chapter 1 with his version of the Manhattan Project. He's like, Joshua, psst, come here, man. I got something for you. You know, they have iron, but I'm going to give you this thing called steel. Okay? Something like that. They have chariots. You got the tank. You're good. But that's not what he does. And God wants to make sure that Joshua understands that it's not by might nor power or strategy or weapon that he's going to win but it is by the Spirit of the Lord. And God says to Joshua here, let me give you 
a little secret. This is how you're going to win. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This is a source of Joshua's courage. Christians, do you sense the need for God's word in your life? If you don't sense the need for God's word, maybe you haven't taken the mission very seriously. And if you have taken the mission very seriously, then you've bought into the lie that you have the resources to not need God. And God is saying to you tonight, no, you absolutely need the word. You cannot succeed. You cannot be prosperous apart from the word of God. It must be the very center, the foundation of your life, your thought, as you engage the city with the mission to make Christ famous. The Bible says, among many things, that the word of God is bread. And this is absolutely humbling to me because I am so useless after a few hours of, like, not eating. And to think that I am that dependent on, like, food. And if that is the case... For this physical body, how much more so am I dependent upon the word of God? Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He is the vine, the source of everything we need, and we're just branches. But if we abide in him and take in the nutrients that he offers us, then we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We cannot bear fruit ministry. We cannot even grow to become like Christ, let alone love and serve those that God has placed in our lives. So let us, as God's people, commit to the word as if the success of our ministry depends on it because it does. The book of the law refers to the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And it is more than just the Ten Commandments and all the laws that follow. Trust me, Joshua wasn't going to look into the Ten Commandments and find courage and strength to lead the people of God into the promised land. If anything, he would find despair, right? Have you ever wondered who organized the Pentateuch and why Exodus comes before Leviticus? Right? It's not so that he can get our attention with Genesis and Exodus, you know, the new year, like, hey, new year resolution, I'm going to go through the Bible this year. Genesis, yes. No, not so much. You know how that goes, right? Is it so that we could actually get through Exodus before we give up on the scripture? No, that's not what's going on. The reason why the editor put Exodus before Leviticus is this. He holds before us the law. And as we look intently into the law, which is like a mirror, we realize, I can't do it. Can you do it? And this God has taken up residency right down the street from us. I've seen Moses come out with a glowing face. We're in trouble. That's what's going on with Exodus. And then God in his mercy gives us Leviticus. That's what it says. God has given this to you a means to atone for your sin. Now, the blood of the animal does not secure forgiveness. Of course not. But it points to the perfect lamb 
whose blood does atone for our sins. Okay? Now imagine if you were Joshua. You're there sort of pacing back and forth. Read the scripture imaginatively with me. And he is wondering, what do I do? Moses is gone. Caleb's the only other guy, like, you know, with any experience. No tank, no strategy. We're doomed. And God shows up. We don't know how, but he shows up. And he says, be strong and courageous. All right. Okay, I, he is on my side. We sang about that, right? The Lord of armies on our side. And then God says, Psst, all you have to do, all you have to do to be successful and prosperous in this military campaign is to meditate on the word and do everything that it requires. If you heard God say that to you, how many of you would be like, oh, praise God, I got this. Thank you, Lord. I, I don't know about you, but I would have stayed in Moab for a very, very long time. I would have said, guys, we're going to need better tents, okay? So how is Joshua supposed to find courage for this calling? Like I said, the law of the Lord, Torah, is more than just the Ten Commandments and a long list of laws. You know what the Torah shows? It's a story of Adam, who failed pretty badly. Noah, he looked pretty good. And then after the flood, not so much. His sons, ooh, one of them is pretty bad. Abraham, I don't know how he's the father of faith. Goes down to Egypt, lies about his sister to save his butt. Like, mm. And then Isaac, like, dude, what did this guy do except just go back to his dad's well? And like, that's all he did. And Jacob, this guy, I don't want any of my kids to be like Jacob. And as Joshua goes through name after name after name, it becomes apparent to him that it's not him. He needs someone better than Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to come and rescue his people. A few chapters later, that's what we see. Before the conquest of Canaan, Joshua meets the commander of the army of the Lord with a drawn sword in his hand in Joshua chapter 5. I love it. He says, this is who I am and I have come. And that's when Joshua realizes it is not my battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. The one who is better than all the patriarchs has come. And he is the only one who can meditate on the law of the Lord day and night and meet all of its requirements. And therefore, he has every right to march into the promised land, secure that for the people of God, and give it to us as our inheritance. And we know that the commander of the army of the Lord is not just an angel, but it is the pre-incarnate Jesus, and we have textual reasons for this. First, he accepts Joshua's worship, and no angel in the, in the Bible ever does. Second, he says to Joshua, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. These are the very words God spoke to Moses, remember, from the burning bush. And Joshua realizes that the promise 
that God had given to the patriarchs will be fulfilled through this commander. But he has a part in it too. He still has to take the mantle of leadership, gather the people, and enter into the promise. He still has a part to do. But he realizes that his hope, his confidence, is in the one who has, will, and does. And friends, as we think about our mission, mission to be salt and light here in this city, it's often easy to look at ourselves, look around at the resource or the lack thereof and think, I don't think we can do this. Let's remember whose side we are on. And he has come. And we're reminded that this commander is not standing with a drawn sword. But he went to the cross, the empty tomb, and now he's seated, reigning over all things at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he has sent us his spirit, who even right now testifies to the truth of these very words in our hearts, giving us, giving us faith to believe. So let's look to him. Let's place our confidence fully in him as we take steps to enter into this city to make him famous for another 20 years at least. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word reminding us again of our hope, of our strength, of our courage that is Christ. Thank you that you never fail us. You have indeed come. And you are in our midst. And you're working out all of these things for your glory. And one day you will come again. And until then, Lord, give us faith to believe in you. Give us confidence to engage the city for your gospel's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.